0: You are listening to the Through the Bible Studio Series with Pastor Nate Holdridge. Join us as we continue our study through the Old Testament book of Exodus. Here's Nate. The book of Exodus is so wonderful for its study for us of God giving a people a land to dwell in and actually forming them into a strong nation that would honor him, a nation that would eventually give birth to the Messiah. In Exodus chapter 20 through 23, we've seen God begin to deliver the law to the people of Israel. In chapter 20, he gave them the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, and from the Ten Commandments sprang forth many illustrations, many laws that were handed to the judges by which to govern the nation of Israel, the different tribes represented in the nation. And in the end of chapter 23, the people have a decision to make. Will this be the covenant that you keep? Will you be obedient to the Lord or not? And in so many ways, this follows along the course of the Christian life. You have a people here in Israel who have been delivered from their slavery in Egypt, they have been set free. Previously, they were in bondage. Previously, they were possessed by the Egyptians and by Pharaoh himself. But God came in, and really without much effort or work on their part, God delivered them. The credit was all His, and His victory over Pharaoh, over the Egyptian false gods, and over their captors there in Egypt was strong and persistent and absolutely complete. There was nothing partial about the victory that God had won for them. Completing the victory, of course, with two significant events, the uh, Passover where the angel of death came and the people of Israel who were willing to sacrifice a goat and put the blood of the lamb upon their doorpost, those people with the blood upon their door, were saved. And those who did not have the blood uh, experienced death of their firstborn son within their homes from the greatest to the least of them. And so the people of Israel were delivered, in one sense, by the blood. And then immediately following, as they were then released from their captivity and pushed out, shoved out of the nation of Egypt, they went to the Red Sea where God then won a miraculous victory over the Egyptian army, swallowing them up into the Red Sea. God was completely and finally and totally declaring victory and giving victory to his people, the people of Israel. And this so obviously follows the life of the Christian. It's a picture of the work of Jesus Christ upon the cross of Calvary, winning an incredible and sufficient victory for every believer. So much so that Paul tells us in Romans chapter 6 that we died with him, we were buried with him, and we rose with him. We've been so closely identified with the victory of Christ. Our victory is total. Our victory is absolutely complete. But after God purchased this people to himself as his own precious possession, he then delivered to them the law, the law which would govern them the law which they would abide by, live their lives by, and they had a decision to make. Will we live by his word or not? And of course, living by his word meant that they would get the very best of the life that he had to offer them. Rejecting his word would mean that although they were a people covered by the blood, and although they had been redeemed by him, next generations might reject him, And they would, in their current generation, not experience the full orb of God's blessing upon their lives. And this is so obvious of the Christian life. The Lord wants to bless us. He wants to take us to deeper, more wonderful places. He wants to take us to a quote-unquote promised land. However, we need to live a life of obedience A life of rebellion, a life of sin, a life of persistent resistance of the leadership of the Holy Spirit might be a life that is covered by the blood, and it frankly may not be. However, it will never be a life that is living and in the full orb of God's blessing. He has a wonderful life in store for those who will walk with him. And so we pick up our study today after that lengthy introduction We pick up our study in verse 20 of Exodus chapter 23. After the giving of the Ten Commandments, the giving of the civil law in Israel, the Lord speaks to them in verse 20 and says, Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and bring you to the place that I have prepared. Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him for he will not pardon your transgression for my name is in him. But if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. At the close of giving the civil law to the people of Israel, and God has much to say concerning the ceremonial or religious law that is to come. But before he delivers that, God looks at them and says, listen, concerning this, civil law. I want you to know something. I am going to send an angel before you to guard you on the way and bring you to the place that I have prepared. Now, this angel throughout the Old Testament up to this point has historically helped God's people. You might remember back in Genesis chapter 24 when Eliezer, the servant of Abraham, was sent to a distant land to find a wife for Abraham's son, Isaac. He said in Genesis 24, verse 7, The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house, this is Abraham speaking, and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land, he will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. In other words, Abraham believed that there was this angel that would go before Eliezer who would give him victory, or success, so to speak. God's practice of sending his angel before his people to protect them, to provide for them, to guard them. Here we see to bring them into the place that God had prepared for them, the promised land, the land of Canaan. The big question, of course, is who is this angel of which God speaks? And personally, along with many others, I believe this to be a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. The second person of the Trinity was not created the moment that he was born and took on human flesh. He is eternally pre-existent, always the second person of the triune Godhead. And so in the Old Testament, I believe there are these moments where Jesus appears and ministers in a very wonderful, practical, victorious way. For God's people. Listen to the way in which God speaks of this particular angel. He says in verse 21. You shall obey his voice. Verse 21 he says you shall not rebel against him. Verse 21 he speaks of his ability to pardon transgression. Although he will refuse to do it if they disobey. But he has that seemingly ability in verse 21 God also says my name is in him and in verse 22 God says obey his voice and then right after that says do all that I say so the same thing obey his voice do all that I say there seems to be a connection between the two and in verse 25 he'll go on to say serve the Lord your God He will bless you, and I will take sickness from you. So it seems as if there is in the mind of God, as he speaks of this angel, he is easily shifting back and forth from he will to I will, and the things that they are doing are the same exact things. There seems to be some kind of unity between this, quote, angel and God himself and he would guard them, he would bring them to the place which God had prepared. This angel in other passages of Scripture actually receives worship. Joshua chapter 5 is a wonderful place to see that played out. Joshua takes the sandal off of his feet and worships at the command of this particular angel. He seems to be far and above any other angel in Scripture, created angel, but a title for the actual second person of the triune Godhead, Jesus Christ. And so it appears here that the Lord himself is helping the people of Israel, going before them, he says, carefully obey his voice. And how beautiful this promise. He'll go before you, he'll take care of you, he'll provide for you, he'll guard you, he'll bring you to the place that I have prepared for you. And just to think of in life, the invisible, wonderful, powerful work of God in our lives and delivering us, taking us to the places that God has called us to. There are things that he wants to do in front of you and in front of me. And the Lord is busy. The Lord is our advocate. He is our great high priest. He lives to make intercession for us. The New Testament teaches us. He is very active on our behalf. Even when we are not active, he is incredibly active going above and beyond all that we could ever ask or think. And so the Lord commands them, he says, carefully obey his voice. You know, as you do, as you're obedient, he'll be able to bring you in to the place of victory. He says, I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. Verse 23, he goes on to speak of this angel. He says, when my angel goes before you, And brings you to the Amorites, and the Hittites, and the Perizzites, and the Canaanites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And I blot them out. You, verse 24, shall not bow down to their gods nor serve them, nor do as they do, but you shall utterly overthrow them and break their pillars in pieces. You shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water. And I will take sickness away from among you. None shall miscarry or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. So the Lord continues to give the people a great promise concerning entrance into the promised land. And he says, listen, when you go in, I'm going to blot out for you. You know, as you're obedient and as you walk with me, as you have faith in me, as you trust in me. I'm going to go in before you and blot out the Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hivites, and Jebusites. He says, I will blot them out. Now, in one sense, this was a national blotting out that God would accomplish over these different people groups. But in another sense, there were different people from these different people groups who would actually survive. David had Hittites who were in his army was a friend of a Jebusite. So not everyone was actually killed, but their national worship and the practices of their paganism and idolatry were to be destroyed. And then, of course, God says, verse 24, you shall not bow down to their gods nor serve them. Their practices were to be removed from the nation of Israel. And this would have to be a national and perpetual warning for the people of Israel. It said, of course, in Exodus 20, verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. Unfortunately, the people of Israel often forgot this great command of God. They began to, quite often, form alliances with the nations around them, eventually leading to intermarriage. And they would eventually, because of that intermarriage, begin to flirt with and begin to worship the gods of the nations around them. And that idolatry would eventually lead them to the removal of God's protection, which would lead them to slavery or captivity or subjection to the nations around them. And so God would wait. They would then cry out to him for deliverance, and he would deliver them. He was gracious and merciful. He would hear their cry. But this giving themselves to false gods would often lead to their slavery. He says, no, that's not what you should do. You should utterly overthrow them and break their pillars in pieces. There's a completion here. There's a crushing. There's a getting after it, tolerating none of it, and removing it from your midst. He says, if you do this and live this way, then I'm going to bless your bread and your water And take away sickness, I'll give you health. And none of you will miscarry or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. Now, this was, of course, a promise that God was making to Israel. These are not promises that are repeated to the church in the modern day. Too much of the prosperity preaching and doctrine that has hurt the body of Christ in our era has been caused by a misunderstanding of these Old Testament scriptures. God is speaking to the nation of Israel. He is not speaking to the church. There is a day coming where we will have complete health and, of course, abundant, continual, incredible provision. It's called heaven. And here on earth, the Lord will take care of those who make the kingdom of God their priority. He will give them food. He will give them clothing. But there is no guarantee of Perpetual health, we are all going to die unless the Lord calls us home in the rapture to meet him before our death. But all of us are heading and trending in that direction. Still though, there is a great promise for us in just the simple truth of being obedient to the Lord. Things tend to go much better in life as we live a life of obedience before the Lord and cast out idols. That's what God was telling the people of Israel here. God then continues these bold promises in verse 27 when he says, I will send my terror before you and will throw into confusion all the people against whom you shall come. And I will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. And I will send hornets before you, which shall drive out the Hivites, the Canaanites, and the Hittites from before you. I will not Drive them out for you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the wild beasts multiply against you. Little by little I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and possessed the land. And so God continues to promise. He's giving these bold promises about the angel going before them. The great victory that would come as they were obedient to him and kept their promises and commitments and covenants in general as a nation. Not every man to a T. But in general, as they obeyed, they would watch God do incredible things in their midst. One promise I love here in verse 28 is that he says, you know, I'm going to go before you. I'll make your enemies turn their backs to you. But verse 28, I will send hornets before you, which will drive out a few of these enemies. And of course, because many of the prophets use the idea of a hornet as a word picture of either Egypt or Assyria, some think that what god is saying is i'm going to use these other more powerful nations these larger nations to threaten the inhabitants of the promised land and their fear of these nations will cause them to be driven out but some actually believe that the hornet is literal and as i read it it definitely reads literally we don't have the record of this per se in the accounts of joshua But I wonder, did the Lord send these hornets to literally make life uncomfortable and help drive out these Canaanite people from the promised land and give the land to the nation of Israel? Just the idea of the Lord going before us and giving us a victory in this kind of way is just powerful and wonderful. And I love in verse 29, the way the Lord describes it, he says, I'm not going to drive them out from before you in one year. <laughs> you know, uh, the land will become desolate. The wild beasts will multiply against you. You won't know what to do with it if I give it to you in a year. You're not equipped to handle it. But verse 30, little by little, I will drive them out from before you. The Lord has used this promise in my life in a wonderful way because what he's really explaining to them is that the victory through just simple obedience and faith in Him, is guaranteed, but it's going to be a gradual victory. The conquest would take more than a year. It would actually, if you read the book of Joshua, it would be very quick. It would take seven years, but it wouldn't happen in one year. It would be a little-by-little experience. And I've found in ministry that so often the Lord wants to move in a little-by-little kind of way. Being patient As the Lord slowly but surely advances your life. So many people are hoping for, praying for, wanting that quick, easy, powerful, overnight success story. But there is just something to be said for faithfully chipping away, faithfully watching God work, faithfully allowing him to go before you and little by little give you the victory. He says in verse 31 then, he says, and I will set your border From the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines, and from the wilderness to the Euphrates. For I will give the inhabitants of the land into your hand, and you shall drive them out before you. You shall make no covenant with them and their gods. They shall not dwell in your land, lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. So God declares to them what their territory would eventually look like. He gives them their borders up to the Red Sea, the Sea of the Philistines, that's the Mediterranean. The wilderness would be the southern boundary, and the Euphrates River would be the northern or northeastern boundary. And this territory was occupied during the time of Solomon. So it took years for this to unfold in their lives, so really much more than seven years. And so just a wonderful promise that God made to them in setting up Their boundaries, he warns them again, do not serve their gods. Now in chapter 24, verse 1, God begins to receive their confirmation of the covenant. It says, then he said to Moses, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. So here we have 75 men being called by God to actually leave the camp at the very, very bottom or base of the mountain and to come up a little bit further. They wouldn't all go up to the top of the mountain as Moses did, but they would travel partway up and then Moses would go further. And it was to be Moses along with Aaron, his brother, Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, which is very interesting because these two sons were exposed to great revelation of God and his ways, his holiness, the way to respect him and revere him and treat him. Yet their carelessness later on in the Pentateuch, we'll see, will actually lead to their death because they disrespected the holiness of God. And then also Joshua was there, although he's not spoken of in this verse, we'll see him later on, along with 70 of the elders, so 75 total and moses verse 3 came and told the people all the words of the lord and all the rules and all the people answered with one voice and said all the words that the lord has spoken we will do now some will ridicule israel for making this promise with such excitement all that the lord has spoken we will do but in one sense it's good that they have this heart to be obedient to the lord however It would have been nice if they would have understood the weakness of their own hearts and had perhaps said something like, with the Lord's help, we will obey his word. But without any understanding of their own weakness, they just committed to it and they're going to break these laws by the time Moses even gets back down from the mountain. And so they make their commitment. So Moses, verse 4, wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. They didn't have the priestly system in place yet. And so he pulls out these young men, more than likely firstborn sons, who officiated until the Levites replaced the firstborn sons in Israel. And so they go and they sacrifice peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Now, the timing of this is fascinating because the people have heard the law. They say, we're going to keep it. And immediately, before they have a chance to break it, God has them sacrifice. The blood is taken and Moses throws it against the altar, God's direction. And then he takes it and throws it on the people, verse 8. And the only time in the Old Testament where the people were sprinkled with the blood in this way, so the other half of the blood thrown in man's direction. And you know what this declares to us is that the covenant was not by their obedience. The covenant was by the blood. God would continue to have the people of Israel as his covenant people just as he had made sacrifices and shed the blood of animals for Adam and Eve after their fall just as he shed blood and animal sacrifices after he made a covenant with Abraham. He does the same thing here. After Noah caught out of the ark and the sacrifices were offered, same thing occurs here. There is blood that is required for this covenant to be established. And so, you know, the blood is upon them. And, you know, anytime you affirm the word of God and say, I'll obey it, Remember the blood. You've got to have the blood upon you as you read the Bible. Our covenants and our promises to God must be covered by the blood. And of course, the covenant that God has made with us as his church is a covenant based on blood and not on works. And for this, we praise him. Jesus took the cup on that night that he was betrayed and said, This is the cup of my blood. The cup poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood, sprinkled with the blood of Jesus, we stand, not because of our works, but by the blood of Christ. Now, after this, they see the Lord. It says in verse 9, that then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. And there was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for, clear, for, clear, for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. Paul tells us accurately in 1 Timothy chapter 6 that no one has ever seen or can see God who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light. And God had, of course, announced to Moses in Exodus 33, You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. But here it says in verse 10 that they saw the God of Israel. More than likely, they're seeing not the full glory of God, but they're seeing partial revelation of him personally. I think Christ, again, has appeared. And they're rejoicing over this glory. And notice the response. You would expect that they would fall on their faces in worship, but instead they beheld God and ate and drank. This is common after a covenant to eat a meal. Their response to God was fellowship with him. And the Lord said to Moses, verse 12, Come up to me on the mountain and wait there that I may give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment which I have written for their instruction. So Moses rose with his assistant Joshua, this is important, and Moses went up to the mountain of God, and he said to the elders, Wait here for us until we return to you, and behold, Aaron and her are with you. Whoever has a dispute, let him go to them. And we know that Aaron, at the very least, failed miserably in this leadership opportunity, as we'll see In just a moment, then Moses, verse 15, went up on the mountain and the cloud covered the mountain and the glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. So after a period of waiting, God speaks to Moses and calls to him and begins to share with him. And the appearance, verse 17, of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. And verse 18, Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain and Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Eating and drinking nothing during this time, a miraculous time of fasting according to Deuteronomy chapter 9. And he goes up and he receives from God the divine pattern for the tabernacle and the priesthood, which we'll see in chapter 25. God bless you. Amen. Thank you for listening. For additional resources and teachings, or to contact us, please visit us at nateholdridge.com.